So having continued to use the same 12 megapixel resolution for its camera since the iPhone 6S, Apple may finally be upgrading to a substantial 64 megapixel sensor for its main lens. That would land it ahead of many of its rivals, including the 48 megapixel Galaxy S20 and S20 Plus, but behind the 108 megapixel Galaxy S20 Ultra, at least in terms of raw megapixels. And they go on to say that Apple's working to bring night mode to every one of those sensors. Yes. Which is awesome. And then in addition, the iPhone 12 Pro Max, whatever they call it, should be getting a 10% larger battery to about 4,400 milliamp hours, which should be awesome for 5G. And also, they're going to be shrinking the footprint of the logic board, which will essentially be essential in powering another rumored feature, 120 hertz display. Bam. So that's the story. There's been other rumor that Verizon is pushing Apple really hard to release a product red version exclusive to Verizon, but that seems unlikely to happen. Welcome to Geared Up, brought to you by National Car Rental. I'm Andrew Edwards. And are you wearing a mask, Andrew Edwards? Because I want to know, and I'm still John Rettinger. (laughs) You know what? Being that I live here in the Seattle area, I very well should be, but I also haven't left the house in several days. So I'm I'm hoping that that's keeping me (laughs) keeping me safe. Fun story for everybody. And uh, I I told Andrew we weren't going to lead with this, but when we were at Samsung Unpacked, Andrew was sitting there rocking a giant mask (laughs) Uh, and not like a cool Halloween mask, like a physician's mask. So I (laughs) I made fun of him a bit, but perhaps he was ahead of the curve. But I'm getting ahead of ourselves. But I did want to know the answer to that question. Yes, yes. So, yeah, Geared Up is your weekly look at the world of tech and electronics. And you know what? Yes. You're right. Like, I f- actually forgot about that. But Unpacked oh, was like, I have a, great like a month ago, right? It was almost exactly a month ago. Yeah. There's several. Okay. So it was a month ago. And even back then, people were worried. Like, I grabbed that. I didn't just bring that with me. Like, that mask was available in the lobby. They just had a bunch of masks if you felt like you needed one or wanted one to keep yourself safe or to keep others safe. You can grab one. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, you know what? Give me some hand sanitizer. Let me get this mask. And I'm ready to roll. Listen, you're usually ahead of the curve. You should grab like 20 and put them on eBay. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. The way that this I don't know how it is by you, but over here, the store shelves are like barren. And for those that don't know, Andrew says over here, like he's living in Wuhan. He's in Seattle (laughs) and I'm in Southern California. And listen, I I don't want to spend too much time on Corona, but I I do think there's a missed marketing opportunity here. People are hoarding toilet paper like mad, like insane people, correct? Yes. Hoarding toilet paper. This is a big opportunity for like Kohler and the toilet manufacturers to really start marketing bidets like hardcore. (laughs) You're right. You know, I feel like there's a missed a missed marketing uh, opportunity. So we've led the show talking with viruses and poop. Correct. It's a pretty solid uh, <laughs> lead into our, our March show, I think. We've really outdone ourselves. Yes, yes. Now, we will have more on uh, how the coronavirus has specifically yes. affected the tech industry later in the show. But for now, we'll skip that. We'll skip that part and talk about. Uh, actually, let's do a follow up. We're going to do a quick follow up okay. before we get into the main stories of this week. Follow up a few episodes ago. We talked about Sonos and their plan for kind of sunsetting the older decade and decade and a half year old products in their product line that are too weak from a internal specs perspective to be carried on to the future with software updates and new things they want to add to their products. 
they did something called recycle mode, which basically meant if you put your device into recycle mode, it would no longer function. But in exchange for that, you would get a 30% off coupon to use to replace it with something newer. So basically kind of trading up, getting a little bit of value out of your older stuff that isn't going to be compatible with new features in the future. There was a huge uproar about this. I actually took the position that, hey, if you made a product back in 2008 or 2010, there's no way that you just knew what the landscape of 2020, 2021 would be and built this product to last you know, a decade into the future. So I was more on their side on this, but there was a huge uproar and quick update. Sonos has gone back on that. They are no longer doing the recycle mode thing. They are still offering the 30% off. You have to give them your serial number off of your device, but you can still use that device or you can still gift it to someone else or, you know, it's not going to be put into a permanently disabled mode. How you feel about that? I mean, listen, I'm not a Sonos guy. So those are all <laughs> those are all words that you just said. I am without opinion on those products. I'm not going to lie. OK, OK. Well, well, for those of you who are Sonos people, I love Sonos. I'm a, I'm a big Sonos fan. If you are a Sonos person, rest assured, you can now keep using your older devices or gift them and you can still get that 30 percent off on current and future Sonos products. So that's the update or that's update number one. Number one. Now, now yeah, let's move two. on to update number two, because this is our weekly look. <laughs> I mean, it's a saga. I know. I know what's coming. We've been following. We need to know, John, how you've been doing with your switch from iOS yeah. to Android. Over the past few weeks, you've been saying it's been going great. Every single week that I've asked you, it seems like more and more you're comfortable and you're not missing much from the iOS ecosystem at all. Has that continued to be the case? Yeah, so I think I'm about two-ish months in, two and a half or so months in from uh, switching to Android. And the more I use Android, the more I realize that people who get so uptight about what OS people use are ridiculous. Because 99.9% of all the stuff I do on my phones are app-based, and it's almost identical. Right. I mean, so yeah, there are For times sure. when like I've missed continuity and that kind of stuff. But like I've been very happy with Android. I've been enjoying it. And I think one of the best parts of it and sort of one of the perks of our business is that I've got a bunch of phones here. That instead mm -hmm. of just testing with the secondary sim for a couple of weeks and doing a review on, I now get to actually use. Right. And that's been really fun to have the ability to actually not only test new products, but legitimately use them as my only phone for a while and sort of re-familiarize myself with what they could do and where their shortcomings were and uh, where they were awesome. And sort of that love of switching phones actually led me to switch carriers last week. Well, hold on. Like the carrier switch is coming after the break. That's the tease. I'm teasing it. I Don't got news dare. on that carrier. Things I learned about data speeds and how you can get significantly faster data if you just know what to ask for. Well, you haven't even told me this yet, so I'm going to be learning with the rest I of have everybody not. else. Like significantly faster. Like while your friends are getting like 20 down on speed tests, you could be getting like yep. 200. Big differences. Wow. Okay. Okay. I'm intrigued. I like what you just said, though, a minute okay. ago about how the OS really isn't the main factor when you're actually using your device, right? I've said this to many people, like a lot of people are like, well, if you're on Android, you can customize your home screen and you can. And for me, it's like when I turn on my phone, I'm on my home screen for like three seconds and I'm in an app the majority of the time. And the yeah. second you go into an app, 
you almost always have a similar experience or a very, very close experience, regardless of what type of phone or what platform you're running. If you go into Instagram, you're on Instagram, you're on Twitter, you're on Twitter, like email is email. Are you finding any apps where there is a significant difference? Honestly, not really. I think the app experience, let's say the Android app experience is like a nine and a half. I think the iOS app experience is a 10. Yeah, there's less phones to optimize the app for and less processors and that kind of thing. But honestly, it's been it's been almost identical. But there have been a lot of positives, too. I shared some pictures and video uh, over the weekend. My my son, my my little guy, my four year old had his very first little league game. First time playing very first game. And I'm, I'm helping coach. And I was back at the first baseline and I'm a proud dad. We've been out in the backyard working three times a week on how to hold the bat and how to swing. It's been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm using now the S20 Ultra that has that 10 times optical zoom. And I was able to get a really close video of his first swing and his first hit of Little League. Not from crazy far away, not with digital zoom pixelated. I know it's a hybrid zoom, but it looked amazing. And that was yeah. a really cool experience. And I will always now have that memory preserved in my mind and digitally because mm-hmm. of tools that I had in my pocket. And that's all these phones are, are tools. Yep. And I'm sure the iPhone's going to get better digital zoom and optical zoom with next generations. But right now the S20 ultra, despite some focus issues is another tool that lets me sort of live my digital life. And that's been awesome. And yes. no amount of iMessage or continuity would have let me keep that memory as well as I have now. Yeah, and that's a that's a good point. These phones are tools. At the end of the day, that's why we use them. It's not about, or at least to to us, it's not really about brand loyalty so much as what use can I get out of this device that I didn't have previously. Correct. And that's a great example because I actually saw that clip that you mentioned from Little League, and it looked great. Like I've actually, you did mention the focusing issues, and by the way, the Samsung Galaxy S twenty did get publicly released this past mm-hmm. Friday, so just a few days ago. We've been using it for a couple of weeks. The focus issues are very prevalent for me when I'm trying to shoot video. Like I can't confidently just take my phone out of my pocket, point it at something, hit record and just know that it's going to look good. Like I have to kind of watch and make sure I'm tapping in the right place so I don't lose focus. But what you got looked great. And it was the zoomed in mode, which we didn't have previously. So you're using something, a new feature that Samsung has built into their phones that really no other phone currently offers and it enabled you to to capture this no and it was it was awesome it was a cool experience and having all of this power and refresh rates and all that kind of stuff is great but if you're not using it for a purpose Mm -hmm. then it's just tech for tech sake and this at least as a father was was a really cool purpose and where i thought okay like i i can see the point behind this you know whether or not a phone's worth the amount of money that it costs it's a personal choice And we can talk about that because I have new thoughts on whether or not phones are worth the money. But it was a nice experience to have. And so that kind of made me re-excited about switching to Android. That sort of was giving me something new. Mm -hmm. And in the tech space, we see so much of the same, right? Every phone's phone's a rectangle. Every phone's got a little slightly better camera, a little faster. But something different and something new is awesome. And this was that. And that was just one use case, you know, out of a lot. But it was one that resonated with me. So... I've been excited to be on Android. I don't have any real intention of switching back anytime soon. The combination of whatever Android phone I'm using plus the Galaxy Active 2 watch has given me a really close Apple Watch-esque experience where I don't miss the Apple Watch anymore. Yep. And I'm way past the point of really missing iOS. I'll go back when the new iPhones come out, you know, when the iPhone 12s hit, you know, for a few weeks or a few months to test it. But 
I'm really happy where I'm at, man. And I challenge anybody out there who has the ability or the resources to pick up a new Android phone, who's been ensconced in iOS for a long time. And Andrew, even publicly challenging you here to make that switch, to try it, get past that past couple of weeks where things are weird and sort of not necessarily relearn an OS, but live with the OS has been really fun. Again, I didn't do this for a video. I'm not making a video about how we switched to Android and then a video switching back to iOS. This was just something I wanted to do for me. Yeah. And I've enjoyed it. My God. I wasn't expecting a public challenge to be thrown down at my feet. Jimmy, um, you have access, you in front of you probably have 30 different Android phones. Yes, correct. And amazing correct. that you have that ability, right? Yeah. I am not accepting the challenge at this moment, but I will take it under consideration. And on our next show, I will let you know if I accept the challenge or not. Give me some time. That's to fair. Think about it. Consider. Fair. Because, to you know, switching isn't about just switching an OS. The more you rely on different iOS only apps, then you have to find replacements and things like that. So it can be a little disruptive depending on who you are and how deep your hooks are in to the ecosystem. That, so, is, that is true. Yeah. So let's talk about, uh, Okay. I know people want to hear more of our thoughts on the new Android uh, flagship. So we have the S20 that just came yes. out. We have the yep. LG V60. By the way, I'm doing a giveaway. Two winners iPhone 11 and Galaxy S20, both winners can choose either phone, whichever one they want. I'll leave a link in the show notes below just kind of to celebrate the release of these phones. So S20 you've been using. Did you get your hands on the V60 at all? No, I do not have a V60 yet. I missed I missed a pre-briefing, but I, okay. I do have with me an S20 Ultra and an S20 Plus. All right. I have the Ultra and the entry-level S20 just S20. What do you think of that one first? Let's start there. S20 starting at $1,000, going all the way up to $1,400 for the entry-level storage and even higher if you want 512 gigabytes. Mm -hmm. How are you liking the S20 overall and just as a device? And what do you think about yeah. the pricing? So I'll talk about the whole line a little bit. And most of my use cases when I talk about S20, I'm talking about the S20 Ultra since that's what my SIM is currently in. Yeah. And what I spent the longest time testing. I like the variance of size. I think that there is an S20 for everybody. And I really like what the cameras can do across all three. What I don't like is that the S20 Plus and the S20 Ultra are essentially global 5G. Mm -hmm. We don't have to get too technical, but they'll work with all the different 5G technologies. Whereas the S20 will only work with one of those technologies. And for that price, right. I don't like that. Unless you're on Verizon, then you can get a model that does work globally. Unless you're on That's Verizon. That's the only way. Sure. That's the only way. I don't like that side of it. I've really been enjoying the S20 Ultra. It is a big fatty daddy of a phone. And I think it's probably too big for most people. I mean, it's a mm -hmm. gigantic slab of phone. It's I think probably the S20 Plus is a sweet spot. I've been using the Ultra because I've you know, I'm a weird dude. I like to try to have and test sort of the best that's out there. So and that's that's the best. And so yeah. I've been, you know, I've been testing it. And maybe that makes me sound a bit pretentious. But, you know, in, in my line of work, I like to compare things against the best. And then I'll eventually switch over to the plus and try that as well. The screen is amazing. I think Samsung screens have been the best for years. You take Samsung screen and throw in 120 hertz. I don't care what the resolution is. It looks amazing. I don't want to take it out of 120 because it looks yeah. so incredible. Battery life has been really good. I, I posted a screenshot yesterday. I think I had about 40% battery life left. I had, I think, three and a half-ish, four hours of screen on time. 
with 120 turned on. It's got a 5,000 million hour battery. And, you know, you and I travel a lot. And oftentimes yeah. we're traveling with battery packs to keep our phones working or battery cases. The S20 Ultra, if you turn off 120 and turn off 5G, you've got a 5,000 million hour battery. It essentially gives you a battery case on top of your regular right. battery. Right. So I like the versatility a lot of the Samsung phones. I've been thrilled with it, in all honesty. The focus issues are definitely there. And I noticed them when I filmed that video of my son. I had to make sure I tapped the screen you know, to get it right. And I had it set up beforehand, before he got up to the plate, because I knew they might have those problems. And Samsung has claimed mm-hmm. software updates. They've dropped that update evidently in Korea. But honestly, I don't have much of a complaint with the S20 Ultra. The price is the big one. Yeah, $1,400 for the Ultra at yeah. 128 gigabytes. Starting, starting at 1400 Right. And if you want even more storage space, the 512, you're going up to around $1,700. I have similar thoughts to you. I've been using the S20 Ultra for the majority of my run. I've been using the S20 regular for maybe just two days. So not as much experience there. But I mean, for all intents and purposes, when you're using these phones, it really does come down to these are the different sizes and the Ultra has this extra ability in the camera. I wish... You know, I like Apple's approach where it's like, okay, here's our two devices. When it comes to features, they are the exact same. With the exception of screen size and battery size, everything Mm -hmm. else is the same. I like that. I wish it was similar with Samsung here. I would like to have those camera features on the Ultra in the entry level, as well as the same antennas in the entry level. But that's not not what they went with this time. But for the price of $1,000 starting, it's so much more than previous releases where previous releases you were getting your entry level phone at around $700 and now it is $300 more but you're not getting the same features across the board I just have a have a little bit of a problem with that I'd want to see parity across the line so you're really just choosing what size is most comfortable for you because for me I like the small one because the small one today is what the larger phones were like three years ago yeah. Three or four years ago. So these things just keep getting bigger and bigger. I mean, 6.9 inches, that's one inch off of an iPad mini, which is 7.9. Yep. Like that's just, it's absurd, absurdly big. And the only way to get the best features of the line is to go to the largest phone, which you may not otherwise want. You may want something more comfortable in the hand, but then you're not going to be able to get the same feature set. But that said, I have the same, like my only complaint is found in the camera especially when I'm doing video and it just loses focus. If you're in 8K mode, you're losing focus even more often. They say there's an update coming, but we don't know what the update's going to fix and what it's not going to fix. It's not a major thing, I don't think. I think most people, when they open up the camera, they open it up because they want to take a photo and not a video. Video is less often used. And the photos look great. Another complaint I have, though, is I think everybody kind of does the false advertising thing where they kind of overpromise on a feature. But when you look at Samsung's like TV commercials on what the like 100x zoom looks like and then what you actually get in real life, it's a night and day difference. You watch the commercial and it's like they have these perfect looking like zoomed in 100x photos and then you try to take there's no way even on a tripod you're not going to get no. anything that looks good. No, not in. not at all. It looks like an oil painting. We actually yeah. did a video comparing the 100 times zoom on Samsung and we took the iPhone 11 Pro and did a hundred times digital zoom with the same crop to compare the two to see the difference. And the Samsung ones do look significantly better as you'd expect, but neither of them are very usable. Yeah, of course. What I did find was cool though with the zoom 
was I was sitting across a very large hall and there was a basically a menu, like a little poster menu on the other side of the hall where you could like go grab food if you wanted to. And I was like, I wonder what they have over there. I didn't want to like get up and walk through a crowd of people and then get over there and see, oh, there's nothing I really wanted. And I took out the phone and I used the hundred X zoom and I could, re- it was like an eight by, you know, eight and a half by 11 piece of paper on the wall. And I could read it perfectly from like, you know, a hundred feet away or whatever. So again, going back to the idea of using it as a tool, it was great to have that, but taking a picture, not so good. Okay, so let me compare though. So we're talking about pricing. The LG V60, I went to the briefing, got my hands on there. I don't have the review unit yet. I don't think they've sent them out. But what was compelling to me is the LG V60 is 6.8 inches. So it's between the size of the S20 Plus and S20 Ultra. 0.1 inches smaller than the Ultra. Right, 0.1 inches smaller than the Ultra. So it's very similar display size. It's got a 5,000 milliamp hour battery, which matches the battery of the Ultra. Which I'm, I'm all here for. Bigger battery, the better. Yes. They are smartly using a two camera system instead of three. So what they're doing is they have a 64 megapixel main camera, which allows them to do a 2x crop to produce a 16 megapixel telephoto picture without needing a telephoto lens. So instead of putting a telephoto lens on there, they're using the fact that they have all these megapixels in the main shooter combined with uh, pixel binning to create zoomed in photos, which gives more room for other stuff inside the phone. And then they're doing the dual screen add on. So you basically get a second display inside of a case, which matches uh, spec for spec, the main display on the phone when you want a dual screen experience, but you don't have to keep it on there at all times. They haven't given a, a specific price, but they're launching this phone at under $1,000. So you're basically getting a lot of the features in the $1,400 S20 Ultra for the price of an S20 regular in the LG V60. Now, it's not spec for spec, obviously, but a lot of what you see in that more expensive phone they're including here. So I think LG is taking the right approach. For years, they've tried to out Samsung Samsung, and there, there's no <laughs> point. I mean, there's no point to that, right? Yeah. But what they're doing is they're taking some of these best flagship features and bringing them at a lower price point. Right. And I think that there's a huge market for that. And LG phones, like under the radar, have been really good. Yes. You know, they've got an amazing implementation of, I'm just going to call it Face ID. A Face mm-hmm. ID. That is really solid. You know, I think as good, if not better, than what we've got on the Pixel and as capable as what you've got from Apple. Uh, so you get those options where really that was limited to you know, select Huawei phones yep. and the Pixel, I mean, for the most part. So you get a lot of the awesome features. Uh, I, I still don't like their skin at all, their, their OS, whatever <laughs> yeah. you want to call it. I mean, that's like launcher city right away. But it's a really good option, I think. Yeah, and most people don't give, like, the average American, at least, when they want to buy a smartphone, they're thinking, what's the new iPhone or what's the new Galaxy? And it's Apple and Samsung and everything else is just kind of on the periphery. But this time around... LG is offering what I think is a very compelling package for the price, and they're hanging on to that headphone jack and also giving you that quad DAC. So basically, if you love using wired headphones and want your audio to sound really good, there's no better phone out there for you than the LG V60 that's going to be coming out this spring. I mean, you're not wrong. I've gone to the wireless life personally, but you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there that are still mad and holding on to those wired headphones for dear life. Are you one of those people? No, 
I mean, no. I was for a while, but I've just I've accepted it. We've moved, moved on. Yeah, I've just I've moved on and I'm not happy about it, but I'm fine with it. Hashtag courage. Yeah, I'm OK with it right now. OK, let's take a break. OK, and then afterwards, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about your journey through. Yeah. Different phone carriers. And I want to read tease this here that not all carriers and not all plans are created equal. You don't get access to the same network just by signing up for a plan. That is coming up next on Geared Up. Welcome back to Geared Up, brought to you by National Car Rental. I'm Andrew Edwards, and it is now time for the National Car Rental Story of the Week. As you know, Geared Up is sponsored by National Car Rental. And if you don't know, I also do a show with National Car Rental on YouTube called technically speaking, where I bring you the latest, my picks for the best tech for business travel, whether you're business traveling or even whether you're going for leisure travel, there's a lot of tech out there that can make your travel more efficient or even more fun. You can check these episodes out at the nationalcar.com control center or go to youtube.com slash national car rent. The latest tech puts you in the driver's seat. National Car Rentals Emerald Club will keep you there. Once again, big thank you to National Car Rental for sponsoring Geared Up. And now the National Car Rental story of the week. We're going to be looking at John's saga journey (laughs) through the world of phone carriers. This is a world that most people, they make a choice and then they kind of just stick to that choice for years. Because this is one of those things where it's like you choose something and then it's a hassle to move around. It's true. So you just kind of stay with what you have unless you see some sort of incredible deal. You, my friend, have have been with multiple phone carriers. Bucking the trend. Yes. So tell us, what have okay. you learned through your journey? I'm going to give some backstory here about my cell phone carrier Odyssey, but I have a point to make and a lot of things that I learned. So I was with AT&T for a really long time. I moved into a new house about three years ago, and my house is in a new area where there weren't homes before. And then my house must be built with metal studs. I live in a Faraday cage. I just got no cell service yeah. anywhere. And uh, Wi-Fi calling didn't work that well at the time. And it, it wasn't a good situation. I needed to be able to make phone calls and not sort of always be relying on Wi-Fi. So I switched carriers and I switched over to T-Mobile. Their plans were less expensive. It was just a normal, you know, normal everyday sort of person plan. It was fine. It worked well. I had issues where I wasn't getting service indoors, sort of usual T-Mobile complaints. When it was good, it was really good. When it was bad, it was very bad. Mm-hmm. You know, but T-Mobile was offering free, essentially, cell extenders. They took your Wi-Fi and they blasted out LTE with it. So it was still kind of Wi-Fi calling, but the quality was much better. And then when I left my house and drove away, it would transition perfectly to regular LTE. So I didn't have to worry about dropping a call. And that was working fine. I was with T-Mobile for, I think, about a year, a year and a half. Okay. And I started to get frustrated with you know, going inside of Target or going into Costco and not being able to make phone calls. My wife was trying to call me from my son's school and she couldn't make a phone call. I just, I just got annoyed. I'm a reactionary kind of person. So forget (laughs) it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to try Verizon. You know, I had a perception in my head that Verizon was, if not the best, one of the best carriers out there. And whatever I got from Verizon, I figured it's going to be probably close to the best that there was. Mm -hmm. So about five months ago, I switched to Verizon. They were offering $160 gift card per line. It was great. Okay. And I just used Wi-Fi calling in my house, which since the initial one had gotten much better. And Verizon service was fine, actually. I didn't have much of an issue with it. It worked yeah. pretty much everywhere. It was some version of fine everywhere I went. But then I switched to Android, right? Yep. And I couldn't use a lot of the phones that I wanted to test. 
I bought a Galaxy Fold online. I had to go and hunt down a special version. I had to find the oh, 900, the right. 900 U1 version that had the CDMA unlocked. Yeah. And it became tough to test all these phones I really wanted to test. I've got these OnePlus phones here and a bunch of things I wanted to use. And yeah, they would kind of work. But because my phone is really bad service-wise, sometimes I have to actually drop down to the 3G tech and then I would be out of luck. And it was just, it wasn't very convenient. So I said, all right, I am going to give AT&T a shot. And I'm building up to a point here. I promise. I'm going to go back to AT&T. No, I'm enjoying this. Where it started. Don't worry. I'm enjoying this so far. It started from. And, and switching carriers is not that big a deal. You got to keep your phone number. All you have to know is your account number and the pin on your account. Okay. And you can port your number over very easily. And nothing that I've ever been sort of afraid to do. And how long um, does it take, by the way? Is it just like a like an hour or a couple days? No, it takes to port your number over from the time you walk into a store or get on the phone. Ten minutes. Oh, wow. OK. Very I fast. mean, I ported over four numbers in in about 15 minutes. Okay. So I had on my Verizon account, I had my line, I had my wife's line, I had one of the guys who works with me, and I had my grandparents who have an iPhone SE and really very rarely ever use their phone. So I said, okay, I don't, I probably don't need to be paying for a full unlimited Verizon plan for my grandparents. So I got them Mint Mobile. I got them a year of yep. Mint Mobile for 180 bucks. It's based on T-Mobile's network. They can make phone calls. They don't use any data. That's all they need. They're thrilled. They don't know the difference. Their phone still works. Yep. Fine. So switch over to AT&T and I'm sure like you, people reach out to us all the time, you know, on LinkedIn or email, just asking to work with you. Right. It right. Of course. And this is where my story maybe becomes atypical. But there was somebody who was relatively high up with AT&T that had been kind of trying to get me to try AT&T service for a while. And he had hooked me up with an eSIM for a little for that worked for about a month to try to test the service. And I still wasn't getting the best service in my house and I just didn't want to deal with the hassle. Yeah. So. I made up my mind I was going to switch to at t because I wanted to try all these phones. It's so much easier to switch. Pretty much every unlocked phone will work. These mostly work with T-Mobile or at t And so I told him, hey, I'm switching. And he said, let me just call you before you do it. So he called me and he walked me through at t plans. And this is true with all sale carriers. And something that I did not know is that if you go to a sale carrier and you're paying 40 or 50 bucks for yep. an unlimited plan, he said, do you think you are getting access to the best network that that carrier has for your $40. And I thought, yeah, like, why wouldn't I? I'm on AT&T, I'm on Verizon, I'm paying, I'm paying the same access network as everybody else. Yeah. I didn't know. That evidently is not true. Think of cell carriers like a freeway. Everybody's using that, those same lanes, right? Yeah. Whether it's busy, whether it's rush hour or not, everybody's crammed to those same lanes. But sometimes on freeways, there's a carpool lane or a toll road, which is much faster. You as a regular customer, a regular consumer customer, don't have access to that toll road. And there are different levels of service. And they call them, in, on AT&T, they call them QCI. And I'm sure Verizon and T-Mobile have different numbers. But there's QCI 6, 7, 8. I'm not entirely sure what the numbers are. But the lower the number, QCI 6, is the best service. So if you're at a sporting event, let's say you are at a Seattle Dragons game. Yep. And assuming a couple of years from now, a stadium's full and you want to send a picture, you know, it's hard to do, right? Yeah. That's because yeah, you're much. using their QCI 7. But if you have a business account, you get access to this toll road, this QCI 6, where you can use that freeway. And he explained this to me. I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. Like, I feel personally attacked, but go on. Yeah. I'm like, okay, like, but I live on my phone. It's a little bit more expensive. It's for business. He said, you know, a lot of times you'll be out speed testing and people with normal accounts will get 20 or 30 and you'll get 200 or 300 down. I was like, all right, tell me okay. more. Okay. Tell me more about these speeds. And he said, you know what, to prove it to you, he said, I'm going to give you, you know, for a month to try, here's an eSIM for a regular consumer line and you'll have your line and you can take them out together and you can speed test it. 
I was like, oh, you know what? You had my interest. Now you have my attention. Uh, <laughs> so about 50 bucks a month per line. I think I've got 100 gigs of data and 100 gigs of tethering. And it's all kind of in this toll road. You know, there's this really fast service. Yeah. And so I switched on Wednesday and I have a lot of other stories to tell you, but I switched <laughs> on Wednesday and the speeds have been insanely fast, insanely fast, not everywhere, but there are times when I go out where a shopping mall or something and I'm getting mm-hmm. 300 down and uh, I look at, you know, other people's phones and I've had with me and other Sims I've had and it's about a third of that. So it does seem to be something to it. But all was not awesome either. I did learn a few things about AT&T and Samsung. Okay. We have unlocked Galaxy S20s, correct? Yes. You would assume that you put in your SIM card, your AT&T SIM card, into an unlocked Samsung modern phone. Everything would work, right? That's exactly what I would assume. You would assume that as did I. Wi-Fi calling, for example, will not work with the Galaxy S20 lines with unlocked AT&T SIM cards, but it'll work on Verizon, T-Mobile, or Sprint. And you would assume that would be an AT&T issue, correct? Yeah. Turns out it's a Samsung issue. I did a lot of research over the weekends. So when you use, I'm getting too into the weeds, perhaps. I'll summarize it quickly. This is what the show is all about. So you go ahead. Okay. So when you use Wi-Fi calling, you have to have, it's called E911, right? You have to call 911. They have to know where you are. And that's usually when you're on a making on regular cell network. You can use GPS and they can figure out where you are to send the police if God forbid you need them. When you're on Wi-Fi calling, they have to sort of put in your home address. And that's kind of how that works. Well, it turns out the manufacturers have to kind of put their signature on this E911 and they have to make sure that I'm getting a little complicated and a lot of it is stuff I'm still learning that the address is sent and that all everything is everything is done and appropriate for E911. And as it turns out, Samsung didn't properly sign their E911 for Wi-Fi calling. And as far as I understand it, Verizon, T-Mobile and Sprint either didn't care or didn't know about it. AT&T appears to be the only carrier that cares. Uh-huh. And therefore, Wi-Fi calling does not work on the sort of new generation Samsung phones. Wow. Which is interesting. You know, you'd assume that would be an AT&T issue. Turns yeah. out the Samsung issue. So that's been a struggle. I needed Wi-Fi calling at my house, right? <laughs> like, that was You're the whole right. reason that I, I have to be able to make phone calls. Yeah. Uh, I don't care how fast it is outside. So... That's been something interesting to try to find ways to overcome. And that was an area where I, I think I got amazing customer support from AT&T that perhaps was atypical, you know, because maybe I'm a bit more outward focusing than, yeah. than most, most folks. You're on their radar. Yeah, on the radar. But AT&T was amazing in trying to troubleshoot and sort of make things work. But then there's been other issues. I, I still don't have access to like an online account. I can't download an app and access my account because they're having internal issues and moving things over. But what matters for a phone for me, and I'm going to boil this down, is make phone calls in my house, which now I can do. I have Wi-Fi calling working. I now have an AT&T branded Galaxy S20 Ultra. Okay. So I can make phone calls. And I should say, too, that this Wi-Fi calling thing is limited to Samsung. You bring a LG or a Pixel phone, you're fine. And my data outside of my home is insanely fast. Like insanely, insanely fast to the point where I am speed testing everywhere I go just to just to test. Right. Uh, and I haven't even I've even you know seen real 5G yet. This is just on their LTE 5G yeah. network. Crazy. I mean, I got one speed test. I was 250 down really fast. I'm just going to tell you the question that comes into my head as, okay. you're, as you're talking about this. So first of all, just to confirm, anyone can get these speeds if they're willing to pay for. It's not like they're giving you some hidden thing. It's just no, it's not the it average a, consumer it's, offering. It's a business account. OK, the question that pops into my head is we've been seeing all of the, so not the millimeter wave, but the sub six, the more expanded 
version of 5G. And we've been seeing speed tests. And what you're describing right now on 4G, which is 10 years old, eight years old, is equal to what we're seeing on consumer sub six 5G speed tests. You are correct. And after this, by the way, I'm going to go hunt some 5G, which I have near me to see if this holds true on 5G as well. Yeah, because I'm basically what I'm curious about is, <laughs> is 5G just getting you what you could have had on a business line for years? Or does 5G also have a similar, hey, if you're on a business line and you're using 5G, you're going to see even better speeds than the average consumer is seeing when they're on 5G. It just has me curious now. I will have that update for you next week. There you I go. will go and I'm going to find this sub six 5G. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to test it because I don't, I don't know that answer. We need that answer. I do know that my LTE speeds or, you know, 5GE as, as AT&T calls it, are generally really fast. Yeah. Really fast. So even in my house where I get one bar of LTE, mm-hmm. which is not really consistent enough for me to make a phone call because it drops down. Right. But my one bar in my house where I can't really get cell service very well, I got 50 down. Wow. <laughs> Jeez. That's Which amazing. is crazy. And it's only, it's only the down that's crazy fast. The up tends to be the same for okay. whatever that's worth. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Regarding carriers. Did you okay. try, because I know there's one out there that is very interesting, Google Fi. Have you tested that one? I actually have, I've got a Google Fi SIM and a Google Fi data SIM. Okay. And I think that if this at t experience hadn't gone well, I probably would have just ported my number over to Google Fi. Essentially, I would have had the best of T-Mobile and Sprint. Yes. I guess now it's kind of one thing and that would have just been fine. I really like what Fi is doing. I like the ability of having just a regular carrier too. Mm-hmm. Perhaps that's silly. I know they support the iPhone in beta right now. It's out of beta now. Is it out of beta? It is out of beta. Out of beta. There you go. Yes. So I thought about Fi actually quite a bit, but having sort of my same T-Mobile experiences and in all honesty, not having tested Sprint that much, I figured I was going to try this first and then yeah. going to Fi was sort of my plan B. Okay. One thing I just want to say about Google Fi to those out there who may not know, you touched on it a bit. It's Google's own service that piggybacks off of both T-Mobile and Sprint. So as you're moving around, it figures out what is the best connection between the two carriers at any moment in time, and it connects to that one. So if Sprint's a little bit stronger where you happen to be standing right now than T-Mobile, it'll be on Sprint. And then if you move somewhere else and T-Mobile's faster, it'll switch over to T-Mobile or a stronger connection, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I wonder, though, if you're on Fi and mm-hmm. say you're on the T-Mobile network, are yep. you going to get the same data speeds as somebody who's just on T-Mobile? Like, yes. is it deprioritized? No, you, you get the same. Okay. You get the same. But one thing that we've been seeing a rise in recently with, and this isn't on any carrier, is SIM spoofing. So basically, it's a way for people, now that we have all this two-factor authentication where you're using your smartphone number to log in to, say, your bank. So you put your username and password in on your bank website, you hit login, then they send you a code via text that you then input as a two-factor authentication, and then you're able to get into your bank. What's been happening recently is people have been using social engineering and getting your cell phone service off of your SIM card and onto a replacement SIM so that they can then log in to your account. It's called SIM spoofing. And I found that Google Fi seems to be the only carrier that is completely immune to this. Interesting. Why is that? Because they don't allow you to do that. 
you can't do social engineering with them. You can't call them up and say, Hey, like they just don't, they don't allow for it. So you have to two factor authenticate into your account in the first place if you need to add or replace a SIM. And so now I don't know like all the ins and outs of it, but I was reading an article by uh, like one of these security guys in um, data security. And he was saying the best carrier, if this is a concern for you, is Google Fi. And here's why. But one thing that, that I think everyone should do is contact your phone carrier and you can ask them to either have a verbal key phrase so that if someone were to call in to customer service, they would need to have like a specific verbal word or phrase that they say in order to make any changes on your account. Or you can say, I don't want any account changes to be able to be done by phone. I only want it to be able to be done when I come in person to a store and show my ID. So this greatly minimizes the chances of you being SIM spoofed because you're putting specific protections on your account. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I honestly didn't know that. Look, at yeah. I learned something new from our own podcast. Hey, there you go. I mean, the average person out there, I mean, I think everyone cares about the security of like their financial accounts, but even people like you and me, where like for me, for example, a lot of my social media accounts are just my first name, Andrew, without even yeah. my last name. So people see that as highly valuable and you don't know how many two-factor authentication requests I get on a daily basis saying, hey, you tried to log into your Facebook, you tried to log into Instagram, here's your, it's like, no, that wasn't me. Just people all day are trying to get into my accounts in order to grab them. So if they SIM spoofed me and they would have that two-factor authentication that I keep getting coming through on my end, they'd easily be able to get in and you know change my passwords and do whatever they wanted to do. What carrier do you use? I use T-Mobile. I was previously on AT&T and T-Mobile... There was a specific reason that made me jump. Oh, that's what it was. I travel so much. Obviously, you know, I travel all the time. And they came out with a new phone plan a few years ago. I think I've been with them about four years now, the T-Mobile One plan. And as yes. part of the plan, adding extra lines was a discount, but- Yeah, it's like free. It was, I think, yeah, I got an extra one for bucks. free and then it was like 10 bucks a month. But yeah. their 4G- had significantly improved. And I care way more about data than I do like voice. I think most of us do. Yeah. But the other thing was since I travel so much and they were doing this thing with T-Mobile One where for an extra five bucks a month, you have something called OnePlus and you got free unlimited usage of um, GoGo Wi-Fi. And if you've ever been on a plane and wanted to purchase GoGo Wi-Fi, let's just say on a cross-country flight, you're in the LA area and you want to fly over to New York City, that can be a $40 to $50 per flight charge. Yeah. And with T-Mobile, it's absolutely free. So for that additional $5 a month, that's one of many extra benefits that I get is to be able to use that. And so the amount of money and the amount of work that I've been able to get done while sitting on a plane just simply because I'm a T-Mobile customer that I've saved, it's incredible. Like, I don't know, okay, several hundred dollars a month they're saving me. So that's why I'm with them. But with 5G devices this year here in 2020 that we're seeing be released and the upcoming iPhone that's going to be 5G enabled, it seems that every other 
Well, T-Mobile has their nationwide, quote unquote, nationwide sub six network that's that's out now. Yes. I'm just curious who near the end of this year, Q4, when everybody has their cards laid out, Apple's going to have their phone, Google's going to have their phone, the Galaxy Note's going to be available, the OnePlus, all these. Q4 in the US, is it going to be parity? Like kind of today, I feel like all four carriers on 4G they're fairly the same. Depends on where you are. One might be better than the other, but sure. all in all, they're fairly okay. the same. Is 5G going to be similar at the end of this year, or is one carrier or two carriers going to be far and away better than the others? And so that is what's going to make me determine if a change needs to be made. Interesting. Yeah. But then again, I just learned from you that I may just be able to call somebody up and get 5G speeds right now. Which is startling. And I, I don't think we're going to see 5G parity by end of the year. I think probably next year when Qualcomm has their modem integrated into whatever the next Snapdragon chipset is, right. then we'll start to see it. You know, right now it's a separate modem, you know, their X55 modem. Yes. And they've got it on the lower end. It's sort of all integrated. But as far as the flagship Qualcomm processors in the Android world, I think that once that's accessible, then we'll start to see how 5G plays out. I think different than LTE, it's a, it's a spectrum game, right? right? Who has the most spectrum? So those that don't know, they're essentially two competing and complementary 5G technologies. One is called millimeter wave, which essentially gives you these crazy speeds that you're seeing, you know, these gigabit. gigabit, yeah. Yeah, these gigabit level speeds. But there's problems with them. They don't travel very far. They're very susceptible to signal interference. Somebody walks in front of you, right. you go line indoors. Very important. Line of sight. That hasn't been solved yet for millimeter wave. And then there's the band and the spectrum issues, you know, that come with these new technologies. And then there's, you know, I guess it's generally called sub six. And that's what uh, T-Mobile is using and what most carriers are going to right now is sort of the, the baseline. Yes. And that does go through walls and that can give you theoretical these, you know, gigabit speeds. But in practice really doesn't, but gives you what would be the equivalent of really fast LTE, you know, 200, 300 Right. And a really solid connection. And a really solid connection, too. Now, none of these are doing voice over 5G yet. It still you know, reverts back to Volti or voice on 3G for a lot of carriers. But those are the two technologies right now. And some carriers are doing both. And I think every carrier will eventually do both. But until sort of 5G is everywhere, instead of sort of little smatterings around, it's hard to gauge and tell what 5G is going to be. Because I think that it's, it's an add-on to a lot of these phones instead of the right. phones being built around the experience. That's 5G. Now, we mentioned a second ago, iPhone 12, that's going to be coming up, 5G. But we wanted yes. to talk about some of the rumors. So we're going to smoothly look, move look on. Look at that segue. You like that? Oof, smooth. <laughs> iPhone 12. So obviously, the big rumor or the big rumor in the past had been that this is going to be Apple's first foray into 5G. But now we've been seeing more come out. And the number one reason that most people upgrade their smartphone is because they want a better camera. And we've just learned some rumors about what Apple may be doing with the iPhone 12. Now, this was, this was a topic you wanted to talk about. I'm assuming you've yes. seen the information. 64 gigabytes. Apple has been stuck on 12, I'm sorry, not gigabytes, 64 megapixels. Apple has been stuck on 12 megapixels since the iPhone 6S. We haven't gone up from there since then. So this is kind of a big deal. It's a big jump. So let me share some, some iPhone 12 rumors, may I? Please do. In addition to the rumor that the iPhone 12, wherever they call it, 
whatever, the iPhone 11 11S, S, whatever. Could be delayed until October due to production slowdowns and delays I don't like that. Uh, in China due to current, let's call it health concerns. So I am reading this from one of my favorite sites, I'm more, because I generally love Renee Ritchie. Yes. Uh, but the original story, I believe, came from Everything Apple Pro and Max Weinbach. Give proper credit here. So I'm going I'm to read this here. So having continued to use the same 12 megapixel resolution for its camera since the iPhone 6S, Apple may finally be upgrading to a substantial 64 megapixel sensor for its main lens. That would land it ahead of many of its rivals, including the 48 megapixel Galaxy S20 and S20 Plus, but behind the 108 megapixel Galaxy S20 Ultra, at least in terms of raw megapixels. And they go on to say that Apple's working to bring night mode to every one of those sensors. Yes. Which is awesome. And then in addition, the iPhone 12 Pro Max, whatever they call it, should be getting a 10% larger battery to about 4,400 milliamp hours, which should be awesome for 5G. And also, they're going to be shrinking the footprint of the logic board, which will essentially be essential in powering another rumored feature, 120 hertz display. Bam. So that's the story. There's been other rumor that Verizon is pushing Apple really hard to release a product red version exclusive to Verizon, but that seems unlikely to happen. Yeah, I don't think that's going to... They don't really do carrier exclusives. Apple doesn't, I mean. No. Or store exclusives. Like, for example, you can get a Galaxy S20 today that's a Best Buy exclusive blue color. Apple doesn't do that kind of stuff. That is true. So I was wondering during the Galaxy S20 event at Unpacked, I was sitting there Mm -hmm. and I was thinking, first, number one, this feature set and upgrade from last year to these phones looks very impressive. Number two, how does Apple respond? What are they going to do? Like 108 megapixel camera, 120 hertz display. Like there's all the like generational, what I was referring to as generational leaps. This is a bigger leap for Android devices this year between 2019 and 2020 than we've seen over the past several years. It's usually been incremental. And this year, I feel like it's been a much more substantial jump. And I was sitting there wondering, what is Apple going to, Apple will also need to do a substantial jump. And last year, a lot of people were saying that camera jump from the 10s to the 11 was significant. And Apple usually doesn't do that kind of thing like two years in a row. So I was kind of, I was like, what are they going to do? Are they going to do something big this year like everyone else is doing? And the rumor mill is now pointing to yes. So I, I think it's a big change for Apple. I think you're right. And maybe it signals a change of they need to push out updates quicker to stay competitive with the right. really fast moving Android world, right? Mm-hmm. So huge changes, I think, to the camera department. Apple generally does things pretty well. But Apple also tends to... Sometimes promised features on phones don't come out right away either. So who knows uh, what we'll eventually get. So we have There's been no rumor about this, but I am curious based on what L- we talked about earlier, how LG was using their 64 megapixel main camera to do 2X telephoto and create mm-hmm. a 16 megapixel telephoto. It makes me wonder with Apple's triple camera system, would they go to a 3X telephoto because 2X could be done on the 64 megapixel and create an even wider, even more varied zoom on the iPhone. Yeah. I think they have to up the zoom from 2X, whether it's a three or more. I think they just like have, they just have to. Right. That's true. I mean, we're getting 10X, we're getting 100X. Like they can't just stick with two and then go to optical from there. We have to see something stronger this year. Yeah, so I don't know, but it is nice to know at least we're going to see significant camera improvements 
later on this year. Yes. And that battery improvement, too. I think at first glance, a lot of people are going to see, oh, well, the Ultra or the LG, they have 5,000 milliamp hours and Apple's only talking about 4,400. But as we've seen over the past several years, when Galaxy phones had 4,000 milliamp hour batteries and iPhones had sub 3,000, battery life was very similar due to the optimization that Apple's able to do using their own software and own hardware. So a 4,400 milliamp hour battery could very well perform better than a 5,000 milliamp hour battery on the other side. So that'll be exciting to see as well. Agreed. Another one that you wanted to talk about today, Pixel 4a. Yeah, so I'll make, I'll make this one short. Can you believe that a new Pixel phone is leaked online? <laughs> right, exactly. Just like all the others. Hard to imagine, but the 4a has leaked online looking exactly like you'd expect, minus the larger forehead on top that's hosting you know, their facial unlock and Project yeah. Sully. And you have on the back a fingerprint sensor. But the camera is the same. Probably have a plastic body. You can't really tell. But a lower price point. You know, probably $200 less than the 4 and the 4XL. That's probably it. Uh, Pixel line is still really solid. I I really like the XL line. The battery life on the 4 has been atrocious. So hopefully there's some sort of updates that fix (laughs) that. I mean, it's embarrassingly bad. It's bad. Really, really bad on the 4. So hopefully that gets fixed on the 4A. But nothing too revolutionary. But if you've been holding out on buying a 4 or 4XL. They are on sale now, by the way. A ton of sales, like 200 bucks off both yep. of them on Amazon. But you might want to wait just a few more weeks. Presumably, this is going to be announced at the now-canceled Google I.O. Yes. Look at you. You you just did a smooth segue. You like um, that? <laughs> yes, because things are getting canceled, and we're about to talk about that. The one thing I would say about the Pixel line, just like the 3A, what was interesting was you had the Pixel 3, you had the 3A, the 3A was a couple hundred dollars less in price, but gave you similar functionality in the camera and cut corners in other areas to do that price cut. But that was retail price. But the funny thing was, if you looked on other websites like Amazon or Best Buy or whatever, you could get the full Pixel 3 or 3XL for the price of the new 3A in several places because the, the main Pixel goes on sale so often And I wonder if that's going to be the same with the 4A. Are you going to see the 4A at a couple hundred dollars less and then two weeks later see a sale on the regular 4 or 4XL where you could have just gotten that one for the same same amount of money? Andrew, I don't I don't I try not to speak my life in absolutes, Uh, (laughs) but yes, 100 percent. Yes, is the answer to that question. So, yeah, just keep an eye. Keep an eye out for sales because the Pixel phones go on sale all the time. All right. Like I said, on sale right now, 200 bucks off. The right, four exactly. Or four Which is probably going to be the cost of the 4A anyway. So just yeah. get the better one. Okay, last topic for the day. You mentioned Google I.O. is canceled. We've been seeing the coronavirus take over in America as it pertains to mass gatherings. And I know a lot of people are saying this is good. A lot of people are upset saying this is overreaction. Me being here in the Seattle area, I can tell you that we've been seeing a lot of people getting sick and a lot of people dying within a 20 mile radius of my house. So being here kind of in the the American epicenter of it all, you're kind of seeing uh, firsthand what this can do. And the fact that this thing can be symptomless for a couple of weeks, you can just be walking around with it for two weeks, feeling completely fine and, you know, shaking hands and talking to people up close and all that. I think it's what we've been seeing here is is interesting. It's good that we're being cautious, but at the same time, as a tech fan, it is a little disappointing to see 
all these event cancellations. We're talking about Google I.O., Game Developers Conference. I'm wondering if E3 is going to happen. The Seattle Comic-Con that was about to happen, that got canceled. South by Southwest. What was the first one? Was it Mobile World Congress? That was like the big one that, yeah. Mobile World Congress, like that's, that is the, basically the CES for smartphones just gone. So are there others that I'm missing? I feel like there's like so many of them. I mean, everything. You had the Geneva Auto Show got canceled. Oh, yes. Yep. I mean, so, I mean, all, all these all these big gatherings are going to get canceled. NAB is going to get canceled. Everything is getting canceled. Apple's March event is probably going to be canceled. Right. Or at least not have live attendees or have it be altered, yeah, right. you know, somehow. The WWDC events may still happen, but it might, probably just, on might just be online. Block. Yeah. So, we'll, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Even more interesting, though, to me, is not the event. Because as you just mentioned, if Apple, for example, cancels a March event, but they really wanted to have a keynote, they can easily have a keynote. They can easily have something, you know, take the stage, do a presentation, have employees in Steve Jobs Theater or just media. So it's a smaller thing or just have videos and they can still talk about products that are being released. But the products themselves, we're starting to see and hear rumors that product themselves are starting to experience delays specifically because so many of these products are made in areas of the world that are being affected by the coronavirus. And so factories are shut down and they're unable Correct. to start building phones to test, which then allows them to make small adjustments and then start building phones for production. All of this sounds like it's being delayed, which may result in number one, hard to get devices. And number two, devices just being delayed. Yeah, I think it's the reality of kind of the situation in the world right now. It's not going to be the case forever and certainly or gadgets matter less than the people who are being affected by the disease. Absolutely. You know, but kind of having said all that obvious stuff, it does change the tech landscape. I think it changes it quite a bit. And I don't think anybody has the answer, but I think events, at least as we know it this year, are going to be very, very different. What do you think is the biggest effect of this as far as the the tech world specifically is concerned? You know, I, I think the iPhones being delayed is probably going to be the one that most people will be able to relate to. Mm-hmm. You know, iPhones in September have mostly been a thing with the, you know, a few coming later in September, like the iPhone 10. Right. But I think when that gets delayed or inventory is constrained, and that's to be something a lot of people will sort of realize that, okay, maybe this is actually something that's impacting a, a right. global, on a global scale and not just more of a smaller, uh, smaller scope. I agree. I was thinking the same. I think there's a lot of things that like events that get canceled, you were, you wanted to hear about. Yeah. New features or new new products or whatever. But usually it's just life goes on as is no big deal. But when you're looking yeah. forward to actually having a product in your hand and let's just admit like you're seeing even today, we're not even talking about tech, but things like toilet paper and Lysol wipes and just those types of the mass hysteria that's out there around those things. Are we going to see something similar when these products do start trickling out if the products are constrained? What's going to happen there? I think we might be in for a mess come this fall. Agreed. All right. That is this week's edition of Geared Up. John, that was that was a full show. That's one of our longest shows. That was a full jam packed show here, guys. Yes. And again, we will be following up next week. You have homework to do, John. I am excited for my speed test homework. Yes. And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at youtube.com slash gear live and John is at youtube.com slash John for 
Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already. Just search Geared Up, that's two words, not one, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at gearlive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.